Tiffany and Tyrone podcast. Today is going to be a very special episode because we want to liberate you from any narcissistic, abusive relationship that you're participating in. We want to encourage you that if you've been suffering from any kind of symptoms and effects of being abused, we want you to hold on, great rock your way out of this one, and keep going, taking care of yourself. Stay focused. Do not go back. Do not be hoovered in. Yeah? Awesome advice. Yeah, today's going to be powerful because we're going to be talking about when those lies appear to be true. We're going to be talking about the effects that the gaslighting has on you when you start to believe the lies that you've been told as well. Mm -hmm. And the evidence has been presented to you by your narcissist to support the belief that your narcissist has that you're doing the thing that's hurting them and you're totally confused but you start to believe it you start to feel uncomfortable because the things that they're presenting as evidence almost incriminates you. It makes it look like, see, this is true. No, I, I, I know I started off in the middle. So let me just kind of back this up so I can give some good context for you. Yeah. So this week we've been reflecting on lies. Mm-hmm. It's a follow-up from the last episode. We've experienced a lot of lies in our past relationships. I've been suffering for years from the effects of the lie that I was cheating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that seems to be the go-to. It's really weird. Yeah. And often, be totally confused. It's like, what? Yeah, let me search your phone. I was like, why would you want to search my phone? This, this is private to me. Oh, you have something to hide? It's like, well, no. Like, Here, here's the phone. And then they search your phone and then look at this text. Who's this your text in with? It's a female name. Oh, that's a client. Like, I just put her first name in. Oh, I don't know who she is. Yeah, because it's business. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, and it's none of your business. Like, yeah. You go to work. I don't come to your workplace asking who are these men you're talking to. Like, why are you coming to my phone and looking at my client's names? And because it's not familiar to you, you're thinking, now, look, see, you're cheating with this person. You've arranged to meet them at this time. That, that's called an appointment. It's an appointment for Yeah. Well, no, like, they, what I found out about narcissists, they truly believe their lies are true. Mm-hmm. But it made it up. Yeah, absolutely made up. Like, it came from nowhere. Mm-hmm. But inside of their minds. But the beauty of what they're able to do, this creation of something from nothing, is that they act on it like if it is real. Absolutely. And and everything that they do supports the existence of this light. Mm-hmm. And then they drag you into the light and show you the evidence by searching your stuff. Mm-hmm. That what they're saying about you must be true. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, did they really let that client? 
Well, I, I don't know no, because I'm so confident. I never looked at her like that. Well, you better be careful with this person because, see, look at this thing here. Why would she say that? It used to, like, confuse my poor little brain. I, I used to be like, I don't know. And those were the early days. Hmm. The repeated experience of being lied to almost every day. And that person acted like if that lie is true. Oh boy, your mind starts to believe it. Mm -hmm. And you, what you're doing now is that you start to create these defenses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you always have to explain yourself. Yes, because you want to get ahead of any new lies. So mm -hmm. you start to say, okay, well, here's where I'm going just so you know. Mm -hmm. And then what I'm doing, just so you know. And before you realize it, every last thread of your individuality is lost. Yeah. And you spend all day long thinking about, and you don't realize it, but you're thinking about what pleases your narcissist mm -hmm. and what displeases your narcissist. Yeah. And you're trying to stay on make them happy. You know, plant. <laughs> yeah. When I was in these relationships, how much shit was going through my head constantly, all day, all night, just repeated. I would like make up scenarios in my mind. Like if I wanted to talk to to him about something, I would create the scenario in my mind, and I would try to predict his his comments or his answers, and then I would follow up with what I was going to say next and like when I got out of it but after about a month like my head felt empty all of that all of that bullshit was gone all of that that stuff I used to think about and like stress over constantly it was just it's like there was nothing in there and I realized how much actually goes through your your head when you're in one of these relationships because the the effect is they have set that lie into your head now. Because they're the most problem here, you know. Yeah. And they're creating these scenarios because something has probably happened to them in your childhood, you know, some traumatic event, you know, that has had an effect on them. And unfortunately, they're constantly replaying it in their mind. Mm -hmm. And when you're dealing with a narcissist, their problem is your problem. Oh, yeah, of course. Now, if you have a problem or if you have something that is important to you and it's not important to them, it's not important. And wife's happiness or your partner's happiness is not your responsibility. Everybody's responsible for their own happiness. Exactly. Someone can add to it. Absolutely. But you are responsible for your happiness. Nobody else. Yeah, in a functional relationship, you should never lose your individuality. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Learn the hard way, yeah. Yeah. What you should be, first of all, is just happy. Mm -hmm. And then you can share your happiness with that other person. Yeah. And if that other person is also happy, they're sharing their happiness with you. Mm -hmm. But the concept that they try to tell you is, no, you have to make that person happy. So you're responsible for moving them from a state of unhappiness mm -hmm. 
into the state of happiness, or you're responsible for sustaining their state of happiness. Uh, that'd be crazy. That's why your relationships don't work. You cannot truly make a person happy. It is literally impossible. Yeah. Like you could do the same thing twice, and they'll be happy with this one, and not with the next one. Mm -hmm. You know, like we try to joke around, like when people say, you know, if you could only eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? You go, I eat pizza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. That's how you feel. You can't eat pizza every day. Yeah, no, it doesn't last long. Exactly. You, you can eat it every day if you want to, but your happiness dwindles. Simple as that. No, here's here's one for you. So I've been trying to think sometimes, like when we're having these conversations, can I remember what happened to me specifically? when I'm experiencing the sensation of being lied to and feeling like if it's true. Mm. And one of the effects of this gaslighting is my brain shuts down. I cannot remember the incidents. Yeah. I, I realize that you're able to sometimes recall yours. Yeah, sometimes. Well, the the major ones I definitely remember. Yeah, I. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's and it's not even like the major ones are just that they're the major ones. It's the the little ones, the yeah. ones that are consistently pounded into your head. The little things. The micro experiences that actually do program you effectively. Mm -hmm. The major ones are usually the pests. You know, to see how far they've been able to program you and then you just fall into the trap. You know, but the, the small ones, you're feeling the feeling. Mm -hmm. But you just don't know what's happening to your brain in that moment. Yeah. And, and and that's the that's the tricky part about it, right? So they make up your life, they act like if it's true. Then they search yourself to find the evidence to prove their life. Mm -hmm. And and as long as they find something that looks suspicious enough, mm -hmm. no matter what it is, they're going to attach it to the lie as proof. And then you're going to try the best to defend yourself to say, well, no, that's not what this means. Or, but then you realize in the moment, well, I guess it does look bad if you look at it that way. And, mm -hmm. and then you start to make these adjustments. And that's the way your behavior changes because now you're on guard. You're feeling that thing that says, I need to adjust my behavior so this person remains happy. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So, yeah, this uh, this lie, they believe that you're cheating. Mm -hmm. That's uh, it's, it's really interesting how similar our experiences yeah. are with these people. So my... The last one. Um, so we work together, mm -hmm. used to work yeah. together. And uh, yeah, I, he, he never liked the idea that I worked with men, two men, or three at one time. But um, yeah, when, when we started like becoming friends, mm -hmm. obviously he did not like that because you 
like a man and a woman can't be friends. That's what society says. Mm -hmm. If you're a, a man and a woman, you cannot be platonic friends. Like it's impossible. And that's what that's another lie they believe. Yep. They absolutely believe that lie. But we proved to ourselves, not to them, because mm -hmm. they believe their lies. We proved to ourselves that it is possible. Absolutely, absolutely possible. Yep. You just have to have the two functional people that Someone have no intentions of that whatsoever. And I don't like again, they believe the lie that that, that can't be true. And uh, yeah, so <laughs> he convinced himself that I was cheating on. Him. And he he stuck with that. Like that's another thing they do. They they believe this lie and they stick to it. They stick to their gun no matter what. I tried to tell him the truth so many times. Not tried. I told him the truth so many times. Oh, this is he's become my really good friend. And like he he is the the safe male figure that I never had growing up. That's what he represents to me. And I thought that would convince him that I was not cheating. But no, no, no. That did not convince him. I think that he maybe he thought that I was just trying to justify it somehow. Well, I know he thought that. So yeah, the whole time, the whole what, two, three, three years mm -hmm. after we we started becoming good friends. Yeah, yeah we had um we <laughs> we had a trip coming up to yeah, do a project. Yeah. <clears throat> and he had already, you know, been uncomfortable with our friendship. And I, I was talking to him, him about the, the trip, and he's asking me, yeah, you're going to have two separate rooms, right? <laughs> of course we are. Like, the company's not going to put us in the same, like, how stupid of a question is that? And of course we're going to have two rooms. And then he goes to me, well, just don't fuck your boss, okay? <laughs> and that, I I was standing there stunned. I'm like, what kind of a comment is what is this? Like, so you have a situation where your perception is all men are dogs. Actually, that that uh, interesting you say that. So when I was a young, or me, my my two sisters, ever since we were young, my mother, she had a saying that she told us all the time: "Men are scum." All the time, men are scum. We were raised in that belief that all men are scum. So there's this concept that the only thing that all men think about is wanting to have sex with you. Mm -hmm. That's it. So if you're working with a woman and you're a male, you're trying to figure out how you can do her. Yep. And it's like, whoa. That's that's the limit for all men. Yeah. And and even as a man, somebody would literally ask me, like if it is true. Again, we're back to the same topic, right? When the lies become true. Mm -hmm. When somebody walks up to you and presents you with a lie and acts like if it is true. And they so they say something to me like, So you hit that, right? 
I was like, no, I never thought of it. I'm not even interested. You know, uh, I'm already in a committed relationship. I'm just not interested. Yeah, and then I'm you're treated. You're treated like some kind of freak because you're a man, and you should want. You should be thinking like this. Exactly, and and I've never thought like that. You know, I'm. I have a wonderful sister, mm-hmm. and I I have a great relationship with her, and over the years. I've always had female friends. Mm-hmm. And I've never therefore developed that kind of thinking. Yeah. Because you see, again, you come into this world, that kind of thinking has to be passed on to you. Mm-hmm. You come as a blank slate. Ain't nobody come here thinking that. And every little kids, you just play together. Ain't nobody care if you're male, female, whatever. Somebody implants that stuff into your mind. Yeah. So when they come to tell me, and I've seen it in many things. I remember one day, you know, I was sitting in my office and this guy comes to see me. He's one of the vendors or something, you know, they want to have a vendor's meeting. So he's trying to connect with me, which is fine, you know, like break the ice kind of thing, you know. So he says, oh, where are you from originally? Hmm. And I was like, why do you ask? He said, you know, you have a little bit of an accent. I was like, yeah, yeah. Where do you think I'm from? He said, well, somewhere in the Caribbean. I was like, yeah, you're absolutely right. He's like, so you smoke weed? I was like, no, I don't even know how to smoke. I've never smoked in my life. I do not know how to smoke. I'm like, come on. You know where to get the good stuff. I was like, actually, I really don't. I I honestly do not know where. And at that time, weed was not yet legalized in Canada. So here's this guy, you know, shoving it down my throat. Yeah. He knows that I smoke weed. I don't even know how to smoke. <laughs> like, if you give me something to smoke, I'll probably choke on it because I don't know. Like, I see people do it all the time. I don't know how to do that stuff. And I found when I lived in Canada, people who tend to smoke more weed. <laughs> Funny enough that the people who live in the Caribbean. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the most amazing thing. I would have thought that, yeah, we, you know, that tropical stuff grows all over the place. Uh, mini Caribbean, there's more weed in Canada. <laughs> Readily available. Obviously, now it's legalized and you can buy it from a shop. But even before that, there's more weed in Canada than there is in the Caribbean. <laughs> but the stereotype lives. Mm-hmm. If you're black, you smoke weed. If you're a man, you want to fuck every woman. Mm-hmm. That you encounter. Well, because from a very young age, um, little boys are programmed to objectify by women. Yes. Society supports it. Absolutely. There's an expectation that you will. Mm-hmm. So therefore, everybody lives in their life. Yep. And they expect that life to live on. Like, I mean, like, women have been complaining about this for a while now. Oh, yeah. Ain't somebody going to finally stop this life from happening? Like, come on, be friends. Mm-hmm. You know, like just, just see the person as a person. Yeah. I did believe that at some point because so, my my ex husband, the first narc, he yeah he convinced me that it was absolutely impossible. So I believed it at some point, and like, but that wasn't my belief. I realized that that was 
That was his belief he implanted in me, but it wasn't mine. I always knew it was possible. But you didn't stop looking. You didn't stop believing. Hmm. You thought that the world has to be a better place than even, you know, yeah. what I've encountered. So, yeah, I've met a number of, you know, creeks so long. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm hanging out in a creek pond. Yeah. All right? But nobody ever looks at it like that. Oh, no, they're everywhere. No, they're not. They're everywhere in your world. But the world is bigger than your world. Yeah. Like right? one of my one of my favorite sayings is, you can't change people, but you can change people. <laughs> Say that again. That sounds so good. You can't change people, but you can change people. That's what we've done. So when I changed the people that I hang around, mm -hmm. I began to realize... Oh, well, look at this. The thing that I would love to enjoy does exist. Mm -hmm. You can have functional people to have conversations with that expands your perspectives and causes your mind to grow. And you can test your truth, and then you realize there's evidence to support your truth mm -hmm. and that you're not crazy. Yeah. As opposed to living a life and... Their supporting evidence only comes about by attaching, you know, scenarios, um, coincidences mm -hmm. to support the life. Yeah. Or did they use some other, you know, existing stereotype to say, well, you know, you can't do this because this other thing is true. Which obviously then is like this weird kind of logic. You get what I'm saying, right? Remember you were telling me a story about one time when you were, um, you know, working with your ex-husband and, and you wanted to go to Vegas? Yeah. Yeah. So um, he had hired this uh, this lovely, beautiful person, um, Tiffany, funny enough, her name was Tiffany. And uh, we we hit it off, like, right away. We, we had some kind of, like, immediate connection. We got along really well from the very start and somehow probably through her experience she pegged him as a narcissist like in the interview and she told me that the only reason she took that job was because of me and so we had become like close we worked together and and this one time uh she and her friend were this was in phoenix she was driving out to vegas with her friend to go see you know, someone concert. And uh, she invited me to go with them. And I really wanted to go, like a road trip to Vegas to see a concert with, you know, a friend. Two women. Yeah. Two women here, but Vegas. And so, yeah, he had this rule that I couldn't be friends with his employees. That was a hard rule that he told me from the beginning. And um, so I asked him, because I needed to ask permission to do anything because I had, you know, I had no friends. He had isolated me from having any friends. And so I asked him if I could go. I knew the answer already, but you know, I was getting kind of tired of all the control. And so I, you know, he said, no, of course. So then I started asking questions like, well, why not? And he told me again, you, you can't be friends with the employees. Like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, if you guys have a falling out and, you know, then it will be, you know, bitterness and then 
I won't have an employee anymore. And anyway, so I was I was pushing him by asking questions because it didn't make any sense to me. And he got very, very angry. And yeah, we when he got angry, he would we I remember going back, we were driving into our neighborhood. And he would like raise his fist like he wanted to punch me. And he would act, he actually said, um, I just want to smash your head through that window right now. And then he went on to say um, something to the effect of, if you do something I don't like, then I'll kill you. And I was like shocked to hear this. Somebody who's supposed to love me just threatened to kill me if I did something he didn't like. And yeah, so the effects that that hot had were pretty extreme. I remember, I think it was that day, we, we got home, I was in the closet getting changed and I could hear him calling me, but I, I physically could not say anything. I was standing there in a complete trance, like I could hear, but I could not respond. Like, I don't, <laughs> it was the weirdest feeling ever. And I think it was the next day or that day, I remember just sitting down, relaxing, and I just felt like it would be really easy to stop breathing. Like just something kept telling me how easy it would be to stop breathing. And so a little while later, I was lying in bed and, and then I actually, I stopped breathing for, I don't know how long it was. And he was by my side and, and I wasn't responding to him. And, and he started like shaking and trying to get me to wake up. And, and, uh, I finally started breathing again. Another time I was sitting in the chair and I felt the same thing and, I tell him about it. And he's like, do you need to go to the hospital? And I said, yes. So we get to this hospital and I actually had to be wheelchaired into the hospital. And at this point I was completely like almost comatose, but I was conscious. I was awake, but it's like, I guess it was like a nervous breakdown. It was a nervous breakdown. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. I hadn't experienced anything that extreme. I I'd experienced a lot of the trauma effects, but nothing that extreme. So I get to the hospital. They do every physical test known to man. They test my heart. They test everything. There is nothing physically wrong with me. And I remember remember the nurse asking him like, "Did you guys?" have a fight or something or like because they didn't understand what was wrong with me and he actually admitted that we had a an argument the day before so you know what i want to wrap up with here today is simply this when the lie appears to become true to the point where you start to feel like if it's true Mm-hmm. And you can see the deterioration in your physical. Get what I'm saying, right? When your body starts to tell you now the story of you, mm-hmm. listen to your body, listen to your mind. Yeah. You got to get out. 
Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. We really hope our podcast has helped you to move beyond your life. Yeah. Test your truth. Absolutely. Yeah. If we could help one person, that's that's what we want. That's why we tell our story. That's why we share the truth now unapologetically. Absolutely. If you keep holding on to the lies and making those lies true, you're living a lie. Yep. And that's the truth. <laughs> Enjoy Thank you, everybody, for listening.